countdown is on, ladies and gentlemen. Ten days, ten days at least, that I'm counting right, until the new college basketball season. Welcome back, season two, episode two of the review. It's a big episode today. First time we got a full deck of guests coming on. We'll check in with Bellarmine University. We'll check in with the newest Division One members in St. Thomas up in Minnesota. And we have a special guest for you at the end in what we're calling our overtime. But before we get to that, let's start with this. Um, you know I like to do this starting five, my little soapbox rant. Today we're going to explain to you, well, I'm going to explain to you why we talk so much about teams that you don't care about or you just haven't heard of. And there's a big reason for that. So we love talking about the Blue Bloods, right? Duke, Ariel Putterman's two favorite teams, UCLA and KU. I mean, we talk more about Wofford than most people do though, right? Like that's just our thing. We talk about new powers too, nor Virginia, Villanova, Gonzaga, et cetera. We've talked about mid-majors, like I said, Wofford, Drake, Loyola, Chicago. Sam Bass isn't here, but we're shouting at all his favorite teams today. Um, one of my favorite categories to talk about though, is the newbies, the new bloods, not just the blue bloods, the new bloods. And there's a reason for that because, well, a, I got a shameless plug my sister's school because they were a new blood last year. Shout out Abby Hodges helped me get a guest today, by the way. And that's how you mention your sister without having to say it over and over again. But last year we did a whole episode on it. The New Bloods, Bellarmine, Dixie State, Tarleton State, UC San Diego. It's what we do because it's interesting. And because college basketball sets up for schools like that to, while maybe having a rough stretch to start, be able to have some success, either in conference or on the off chance against a pretty big team. Let's put a pin in that for a second. Why are college sports so great? Because college sports, college basketball specifically, built off of upsets. Now, the greatest college season ever, in my opinion, didn't come from basketball. It was actually a football season. I understand it's a basketball show, but this is also my shameless plug for why football is one of the best sports out there, especially at the college level. 2007, quote-unquote year of the upset, the curse of the number two. It, it, well, first of all, the year started off with that game, Appalachian State, Michigan, in the big house, blocked field goal to win it. And it just went haywire from there. Number two, lost seven times in the last nine weeks of the season. You had teams like USC losing to Stanford as 41-point favorites. You had Cal losing. South Florida was number two for a while. They lost. Boston College was number two. Oregon was number two. Kansas was number two. They suck at football. Like, they're terrible. Like, so bad. West Virginia was number two. All those teams lost in the last nine weeks of the season. Number one teams lost three times. Well, actually more than three times, but three times in the same week as number twos. It never happened before in, I think, like a decade. Last time that the top two teams had lost in the same weekend, it was 96. It happened three times in one season. LSU lost twice as number one. They won the national championship that year. It, upsets in college sports are fantastic. Upsets in college basketball are the norm. And that is why we talk about teams who you may not pay attention to. Here are the, just, just to illustrate my point, here are the quote unquote upsets. You may not think of them as upsets because a lot of them are teams that have a chance to beat the other. But based upon AP rankings and where these teams stood at that point in the season, these were upsets through the first two weeks in college basketball last season. San Diego State over 22nd ranked UCLA. San Francisco beats number four, Virginia. Virginia Tech beats number three, Villanova. Richmond beats number 10, Kentucky, which hindsight being 2020 probably wasn't an upset, if I'm being honest with you, considering how UK's season went last year. Missouri beating number 21, Oregon. That's not to mention that college basketball has marketed the word madness for its postseason. It, it, it's a sport built on upsets. We, we saw Loyola Chicago go to the Final Four oh, via the power of God, I guess. Like, what else do you want from us? Sure, we'll talk about the Kentuckys. We'll talk about the Dukes. We'll talk about the North Carolinas. This year more than most because Coach K's last season, it, it, we'll talk Syracuse, I'm sure. I'm repping Syracuse right now, my, my grad school, alma mater. Go Orange because Bayheim's probably going to retire soon too. 
We're going to talk about Kentucky because there's no way they do go play as bad as they did last year. We'll talk about UCLA. They're number two in the nation. They had a magical run to the, fi- the final four last season. And we'll talk about those contenders who are always there. We're going to talk about one today in Baylor. We're going to talk about Bellarmine today. They were runner-ups in the A-Sun, and they just played a exhibition last night to get the mindset of what these smaller teams are going through when they come to Division I, and then they go into their second year. And while we were hoping to check in with St. Thomas on a more personal level, we'll talk about St. Thomas because we couldn't end up getting anybody on the show. But without further ado, that's my starting five. Let's meet our full deck today, starting with the most notable of our three. I'm not going to say they're my favorite. They're not my favorite because they more than anyone else has gotten into my head a little bit with the trivia thing. You know, he, he has performed admirably in our three point play. The first of which we will have today. He is the undisputed champion of our three point play. He is avid Wofford Terrier fan and Fletcher McGee apologist, Matt Waldman. With a better internet connection this time around, the beard is the same. The internet, though, is better. He's not just a blob floating around everywhere. Next up, the man who Matt Waldman replaced in our season finale last season, who, by all accounts, might have won it as well. Not necessarily the odds on favorite. And a man who does not like mid-majors for reasons unknown to the rest of our staff here. He actually texted in the group chat saying, why are we talking about Bellarmine and St. Thomas today? And he said this, I don't know, I, not verbatim. It's that we don't have fans from those schools who listen to this. We will, Ariel Putterman, who joins us from, I assume, the campus of Kansas University. You know, yeah, when you have a guy like Kevin Harlan who goes to your school, you got to show some respect because Kevin Harlan is a beast and he calls games the same no matter who's playing in them. Show some respect to the little guys, Ari. I'll be giving you crap for that throughout the season. And finally, our debutante and the man of the hour, bringing him on for the first time today. He's under a lot of pressure today because we're talking the team he knows the most about. Not the favorites in the Big 12 this year, but the defending national champions, the Baylor Bears. His name is Drew Tinio. I think I'm saying I didn't check with him. I had to say his last name before we started. That is correct. Drew Tinio is joining us on the review first time ever. Gentlemen, welcome in. And we're going to get right away started with this thing with the Baylor Bears. So Drew is here. He is going to educate us on Baylor, but let's start with the question. Drew, Baylor has picked third to finish in the Big 12 this year. Are they being underrated uh, despite the national championship performance they had last season? I wouldn't say they're really being underrated, to be honest with you. I mean, for majority of the nation, I think it's fair to, to have the Bears there, especially with the acquisitions that Texas got in the offseason, Chris Beard being added, and obviously Kansas reloading. Me, personally, I'd probably have them second. I'd have them a little bit higher. I'm still not fully on board with the UT thing, not because of the rivalry bunny stretch, but chemistry issues will probably be something to note early on. They've got a Gonzaga game early in the year. That's really going to tell us what we're going to see from this team. Uh, Chris Beard coming in, obviously great coach the last couple of years. Hasn't quite, I felt like, lived up to the expectations of what we had from his, uh, I his 2018-2019 team that went out of the national title game. Uh, so I think overall, I think it's a fair judgment to make, even for national champs. Obviously, you lose uh, three of the best players in the program's history and and Teague and Davion Mitchell and Jared Butler. But, but you know, I, I feel like it's a fair comparison, especially with uh, the returning guys and the, uh, the transfers that they brought in. I think will be really, really crucial for them this year during that tough, tough Big 12 stretch. Well, Baylor not only having Gonzaga early this year, they'll have a matchup against Stanford at home. Stanford was one of the teams I had thought had more promise last season than that backfired on me. They'll also take on Arizona State in the first round of the battle for Atlantis. We'll see who they get to play later in that tournament, if, of course, they win their games. They also have Villanova at home. They play Oregon at Oregon. And those are just a couple of the headliners to start the season. But, Ari, I got to ask you, how threatened should Kansas feel having another, I would assume, national championship contender at least within their conference? It's not usual 
for Kansas to have one of those in their conference. Maybe Iowa State back in the day when you had guys like George Niang there, but now you have a Baylor team who seemingly came out of nowhere. I don't know if they had been knocked out of the tourney early a couple of years in a row. Then they make this big run. What should Kansas feel today, uh, knowing that Baylor is right there with them, at least in my eyes? Well, before I answer that, I need to clarify for myself. I am very pro-mid-major. It was more that, you know, we're about 10 days from college basketball and there's so many previews coming out, so many predictions. And yeah, we're doing all that next week, Ari. That's for the well, end of the episode. When I sent that message, you had not explained that. So we go week by week here. If you would come to the pitch meeting like you said you would, of which actually nobody showed up. So screw all of you. You left me hanging there. We would have gone over this. But anyway, back to the question. So um, I think it's great. I mean, we know people are kind of scared about what the Big 12 is going to become with. OU and Texas leaving so the fact that a team like Baylor is a real competitor every year um, we see teams like Oklahoma State they're rising a lot they got the number one pick in the draft last year Um, West Virginia is always a solid team with coach Huggins so I think it's great for the Big 12 I think it's great for Kansas just to have more competition um, because obviously we're the champs every year but uh, it'll be fun Baylor I think they're an interesting team this year they really need a guy to step up uh, losing their top three players can be hard. And a lot of people think Matthew Myers can be that guy, but he hasn't shown a lot of consistency. So they could, they could be the number two. They can even be the number one team in the Big 12, but they could also be the number five, the number six. So they just need that guy to step up, whether it's Matthew Meyer or Flager or anything like that. So I'm excited to see this team. I'm excited to see how the Big 12 will be because it's going to be super competitive. I think it might be the number one conference in college basketball this year. An outsider's perspective here from Matthew Meyer to Matt Waldman. Matt, you're more of a mid-major guy, but you pay attention to big-time college basketball as well. From, from an outsider's perspective, impartial, unbiased, of course, because we do have Baylor fan, Kansas fan here, and we're not going to debate that until later in the season when they actually you know, play against each other. What is your perspective on how the Big 12 can shake out this year with two seemingly top-tier teams and then the rest? Yeah, you know, I, I kind of on a board with the idea that the Big 12 could be one of the deeper leagues here this year. You know, they um, Kansas, I think, is clear cut. I think the top team, I don't disagree with that. Uh, and then I, I do agree that the Texas Baylor, you know, maybe that's the, the second tier. Um, <clears throat> you know, beyond that, you look at Oklahoma State, um, you look at uh, teams like Texas Tech, I think is still going to be fine, even though Beard switched over. In Texas, I think there's a lot there to work with. So you have a league that's going to continue to push um, and grow, as Ariel said, even with the departures that are coming up in a few years. So I think you have a league that's going to continue to to be strong. And even the teams that are coming in are going to keep it going. I I do agree with that. And so when you look at this season, Kansas has the most talent. Uh, I do think it's going to be interesting to see how Remy Martin fits in there. Uh, Certainly going to boost them. But uh, is he going to be able to kind of take over and have that same role that he had at Arizona state. So how does he adjust to a new role there at Kansas? Uh, but, but yeah, I think it's, it's a league that has proved uh, year in and year out that um, especially given it's, it's a 10 team league, not a 12 team league, but they consistently are getting about six to seven teams in most seasons into the tournament. Yeah. There are three teams in the big 12 ranked uh, preseason KU, obviously top dogs at number three, Baylor at number eight, Texas at number five, a future Big 12 team, though, also ranked in the University of Houston at 15. Uh, Pushing away from the Baylor-Kansas discussion, though, with these teams that are coming into the Big 12, I know Matt Majinski and I mentioned this uh, last week's episode, but how do you guys see that playing out over the next couple of years with a UCF, a BYU, a Cincinnati making their way into the Big 12? I think it actually adds more to the conference. Um, I think – be in agreement here back to 12 teams obviously is a very big deal bringing depth and bringing in a team like university of houston that just these past couple years alone is already a better basketball program than ut and ou provide and adding some more like a byu that's consistently second ranked in the west coast conference a ucf that coach dawkins been doing a great job over there they made a tournament a couple years ago and then a cincinnati program that isn't quite on those levels but i feel like can build up to the potential but I, I think it's great for the conference, and I think it continues to make them make the conference among the best in the country. Just solidifies it even more. 
a bold statement saying the Big 12 is the, one of the better conferences in the country. Basically saying good riddance to OU in Texas as well. I get that from a football perspective, guys. But basketball, like, I mean, Kansas lost to Texas last year. We all remember that happening. That was part of our three-point play uh, finale last year. That was a question, especially for Ariel, but he couldn't show up because I guess like he had a family dinner or something. But yeah, the Big 12, uh, it, they'll have 12 teams, which is great. We love Dirty Dozen talk. When Missouri was in the Big 12, that was all like, anyone followed here. Dirty Dozen, Dirty Dozen. Big 12 is so great. I would argue the Big 10 is probably better and a little bit deeper. And I would argue the SEC was a pretty deep conference last season as well. So even with the transition of OU and Texas there, I think they'll still be competitive. ACC is obviously a power in basketball as well, despite what happened last season with those teams. We'll move on, though, uh, to now Matt Waldman's muscle flexing session for the rest of this episode and Ariel Potterman's bane of his existence. This must be a house of horrors for him as we keep up with the Halloween week going on here. By the way, Ari, you must not have gotten the memo to wear orange or black to this episode because you're wearing a red sweatshirt. And we don't appreciate the fact that you aren't in the holiday spirits. Um, this is actually my costume, but uh, that's okay. What are you supposed to be? Um, a college student. Oh my God. <laughs> I hate you. Anyway. Uh, so Bellarmine university, second year, my, my bias, obviously showing through here. My sister plays field hockey there. Second shout out for Abby Hodges today, but Bellarmine impressive showing last season losses early to power teams. At least those who we thought would play well and Notre Dame and Duke 10 straight wins in conference in the a sun. And they were impressive last year. Obviously, that transition period, they weren't able to go to the actual big dance. They ended up in the college basketball invitational, knocked out in the second round. We'll get to the preview in just a second, but I was able to catch up with one player from the Knights. Again, thank you, Abby Hodges, for helping me book him because that was huge. And he was a very interesting guy. You've watched the interview. He's a character. And uh, let's go ahead and get to it right now. This is my interview with Garrett Tipton from earlier today. He is a redshirt junior guard out of Columbus, Ohio, and member of the Bellarmine University Knights and contributor to the Beyond the Arc podcast, focusing on all things, well, Beyond the Arc, I guess. He is Garrett Tipton from the Bellarmine Knights. Garrett, welcome to the review. How are you doing, man? I'm good. Thank you for having me today. Excited to, excited to be on here with you. Yep, Knights coming off of an exhibition last night. Close win uh, to Tiffin University out of Ohio. Uh, season's about to start, Garrett, but let's rewind back to last season. First year for Bellman in Division One, you got a coach in Scott Davenport who's had exposure to that through his various connections. And what was the mindset from your perspective, your teammates' perspective, going into a season in Division One after you just gotten off playing in Division Two, albeit as a powerhouse? Well, for us, it was a little different. Uh, it was a little different for everybody last year. Um, it didn't really totally feel like we were Division One until we got to conference play because um, you felt like you were rolling a little bit. We didn't have many shutdowns. The only real shutdown we had was uh, against North Florida that they they had a couple players out, couldn't play us. And, you know, that was the only time that we really had any, any issues. Um, when it came to conference play early, we were shut down every week, it felt like. Uh, I felt like every week somebody – was positive or, you know, we would go one week and we were all in the clear. And then the next week we were, you know, we were shut down, sent back home. I felt like I got more workouts at home than I did, you know, down at school. Um, so it was a little different, um, but it was really exciting. I mean, we obviously got a lot of support from fans that could come to the games and support outside. I mean, being on ESPN plus is so much different than the GLBC network, right? There's a lot more people that can access it and use it and, people that don't even follow Bellarmine, they're just on ESPN. They can just hop on and watch us play. Um, you know, we got recognition from Barstool and some other, you know, big-time people in Louisville, and it, it was it was very exciting um, for us. And we just felt like we just needed to play loose. I mean, we had nothing to lose. You know, obviously with the with the probation of us not being able to make the tournament, or, I mean, the best that we could do is win the conference, make the NIT. I mean, we ended up with the CBI, which was even, you know, it was just as well off. Um seeing how a lot of people didn't make a postseason tournament. Um, so it was just really exciting. It felt loose. We felt like we needed to play 
the way that we play. We didn't really need to do anything special. Um, defensively, we had a little bit of some troubles, but, you know, we're starting to get those figured out this year. And, you know, first year Division One, you got to find, you know, is your system going to work compared to Division Two? Is is it going to be different? Um, you know, are you going to need to change structurally? And we found out we could just play the way that we play. And, and uh, people underestimated us a little bit last year, too. So that helped. Um, obviously, last night, uh, we found out that people aren't going to do that to us anymore. So there's some stuff we need to get cleaned up. But, um, you know, we're even more excited this year than we were last year. I mean, our schedule before COVID last year was as was what it looks like this year. And so, you know, we were um, excited to play our first game at Duke and, you know, um, some other things that were pretty exciting. But it, overall, it was a very exciting time for us and the university. I was about to say, you said it didn't feel like Division One. You open up with Duke. That, that feels yeah. pretty much like yeah. Division One yeah. at that point. Oh, what was the catalyst with you had that 10 game winning streak in conference. You lost the first two to Lipscomb. You go on a tear close games, but games that you win and put yourself in position to make a run in the a sun tournament. What was the catalyst to that? Was it that experience that you've had playing teams like Duke, North Carolina, the whole shebang, or it, it was it the experience of your coach or was it just how the team meshed together? You guys play a very, a very recognizable brand of basketball, very continuity based, a lot of the same mm -hmm. motion, but a lot of options off of that. Yeah. Well, for us, it, we always talk about teams are never guarding us an entire season in practice. You know, you go into a week. Okay. We played Friday, Saturday last year, right? They're going to start. They play, you know, let's go to Stetson. They played, I don't know, Jacksonville the week before. Jacksonville was how many dribbles can we have in a possession compared to us is how many passes can we get in a possession? So for them, it's like, all right, Monday, we're going to start focusing on Bellarmine. It takes way more than Monday. Um, reports had come out that Liberty was actually focusing on us three weeks before they even played, played us. I mean, so, you know, to think about a team like Liberty or where the first year of division one, they're actually going to take three weeks to, you know, prep for us on top of the games that they're playing. I mean, that's kind of, insane to think about so it was really tough for teams to guard us for 30 seconds you know if we had an NBA shot clock we'd be in trouble but 30 seconds I mean it was you know we would we would get down to 10 seconds and we're shooting layups or we get down to 10 seconds we're shooting open threes because people didn't want to guard us that long and for us personally I mean the reason that those games are so close is that it's it is different than division two and you think about players in division one you know, when you think about a knockdown shooter in Division One, guess what? He can also do – he also has a mid-range, or he can also get to the rim, or he can – you know, he's a 3 and D, right? Like, in Division Two, it's – if he's a knockdown shooter, he, he'll dribble the ball with his foot if you make him dribble. There's That's the difference, right? So, for us, it was adjusting to that. Like, we got to be able to close out, but we also got to be able to guard him. So, that that's why games were a little closer than they needed to be last year, and we learned that, and we learned how to finish games, and we also had so much experience, like – yeah, you think about Ethan Claycomb, he's been at, you know, Indiana State, and then he comes here, and this is his fourth year in our system, right? With the COVID year, he's been here for four years. It's like he's been in a brand-new college, you know, on top of two years in Indiana State. And then you think of CJ, heck, he, CJ committed to Bellarmine when he was a junior in high school. Like, he didn't even play his last year of AAU because he was focused on getting ready to come to, come to college. So it feels like he's been here for six, seven years, right? And then, you know, Justin Betts grew up around here. You know, those type of guys that, you know, they've they've been in the system. We've known the system. We know how we play. We had that experience last year. And, um, you know, you think about we brought everybody back but Pedro Bradshaw. And it's like, can you believe the experience we have this year? So, um, you know, there's there's some there's some catalysts all together with our experience and our passing is just, you know, it's really hard to guard. It's, it is. I mean, we see it every day in practice. I mean, the reason we struggle against teams that dribble so much or set so many ball screens, because that's not what we do. We guard back screens all day and we set, you know, we guard cutting as soon as we throw it into the post. So it's, it's something that's a little different for us. Um, you know, it's something teams aren't going to work on all year. Um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd be shocked to see someone go into an open gym at, at another school in the ASUN and see the movement, the passing, the cutting that we do. Um, in our open gyms compared to, you know, other open gyms is like, we're going to set side ball screens and you may get one pass in possession. 
you know, so it's, it's just kind of our system and how we play. And you know, coach Davenport's been around forever. I mean, he coached at Louisville. It's not like, you know, Doug Davenport's been with Louisville and Xavier and Eastern Kentucky. Like he's been around too. And, and Bo Braden's been at, you know, Tennessee and, and Moorhead state now here. So these guys have seen division one and what it's like. And that was a huge part of just trusting them believing that they knew that our system was going to work and that we really didn't need to change anything. Well, with that combination of experience with the players like uh, Justin Betts, a CJ Fleming, uh, um, why I have his name right in front of me, a Dylan Penn, there we go. And with the experience of coach Davenport, it look, let's transition to the schedule then for this year where to stick with the Halloween theme, most people would look at this not knowing who Bellarmine is, what the program is, and say, holy cow, that's a house of horrors that you guys are going to go through on the road or the neutral right. site to start the season. It doesn't seem like you guys are taking it that way. You, you gave some trouble to Duke last year. I watched that game. My family watched it right out there uh, on the TV in the basement. You get Purdue to start, which can really turn into a home game when you think about it. Murray State after that. You played the two teams in the WAC, St. Mary's, Gonzaga, which that's a test in itself to go there. And you finish yeah. it off with UCLA, Central Michigan. These are big teams that you guys are playing. But with the experience that you guys have, what is your what is your mindset going into that? It's not a house of horrors by any stretch for you guys, the way you play. But it's still a difficult challenge and a unique one for a team like yourself just in your second year of D1. So my freshman year came in in uh, year 2018, 20, 2019. Um, we played L in our exhibition game. I almost beat him. And if it wasn't for a lane jump by Nora to seal it for a dunk, we would have – it might have went to overtime. Who knows? You know, you know who knows what could have happened, right? Uh, my second year, my sophomore year, we played at L again. Same exact thing. Almost beat him. And then at Notre Dame. I mean, we we should have beat Notre Dame. Like, we were in the locker room after Notre Dame my sophomore year of being upset that we had lost that game. We were Division Two and upset of an ACC school that we thought we'd let get away. Like, no one else does that. Like, you're in the locker room afterwards. Like, you know, I had a couple of friends that played on Tiffin for Tiffin last night. I asked him, how was your coach last night after the game? He was ecstatic. They lost the game, and he was ecstatic. Like, he was so happy, like, all this stuff. Like, that's not who we are. So these big schools, yes, okay, Purdue's preseason seven, UCLA two, Gonzaga one. Is that going to be this case when we play Gonzaga, UCLA? I don't know about UCLA. Gonzaga probably is going to stay that way. I mean, Purdue's our first opening night, so of course they're going to stay at seven. You know, who knows preseason-wise how it's going to be as we get down the stretch, but you think, you think about our experience and stuff, we've, we've been there. Like, yeah, okay, you're bigger than us. You're – taller than us you're probably faster than us but the way like our warm-ups people I mean I I know guys that have played against us and, and other guys that know other guys that played against us watching us warm up they're like is this team for real like are we really playing a bunch of white guys that just shoot the entire time in pregame like no dunking there's no no going crazy no one-on-one workout dribbles I mean we were watching last year these other teams warm up and we just everything we do is team oriented. We don't do guard like we the only thing that's different is we do guards bigs. That's it. But it's all team oriented stuff. Everybody's doing the exact same thing. And the other teams are down there, you know, one in and out dribbles, like doing pull ups, bigs are doing individual post moves like we, we don't do that. And we go out and beat you. So it's like, yes, we see these big time schools. We play against these big these big teams and we have that like notion that like we're going to stay in the game and we're just the way that we play is going to keep us in the game now there are times that people are going to take away what we do and that's going to be our challenge this year people are going to take away what we do are we going to be able to do a basketball type play are we going to be able to make our own play off of our system you know to eliminate that happening because if we can do that you can't take that away and the way we play it's impossible so for us it's it's the big schools don't see that all year Purdue's never going to see somebody cut as much as us they're going to see iso ball screens like they're not going to see that all year and they're going to it's going to be close in the first half unless we make a ton of mistakes and their length really really does bother us which we assume that it's going to bother us a little bit but if it really really bothers us i can see it being you know a little much at half but 
we keep it close. We'll keep it close at half. Now, second half wise, sometimes those big schools like Duke last year, obviously the big time athletes and guys that are in NBA and going on. I mean, they're, they're projected for a reason, right? At some point you can only do so much. And so for us, it's, it's one of those things that we just know that we're going to be in the game and we have that mindset beforehand. It's not like, Oh man, we're playing Purdue tonight. Like, let's keep it, let's keep it under 20. Like, no, that's not how we see it. Like we're going to go, like, we're going to come down the street. It's going to be a game that lasts four minutes of the game. When that media timeout under the under four, it's going to be a game. Like they're going to have to make plays just as much as we are. And that's how we see it. And, you know, sometimes the notion of you play to your competition, some of that happened last night. Some of it was just just things that we just completely lost ourselves and we were, you know, stuff that we'll never do again. Um, but it was also the first game that we played in a, you know, game jerseys on, 40 minutes, clock running on ESPN+. Plus. So at some point you have to have that uh, have that learning lesson. And, and so, you know, schools like that, I mean, we're going up to Gonzaga and – it's going to be a packed house. They're going to have a hundred percent in there. They haven't had fans this whole time. That'll be a Friday night game. I mean, they don't have a football team. It's going to be a Friday night game. It's going to feel like a football atmosphere, right? So it's going to be, um, it's going to be insane, but we're going to hit threes. We're going to get cuts. We're going to shoot layups. They're going to be, they're going to, their heads are going to be spinning and they're going to go in the locker room at halftime being like, man, we can't let, what are we letting these white boys do to us? That's how it always works. That's how it always happens. It's like, why are we letting these white boys shoot layups on us or shooting wide open threes or their coaches are starstruck at halftime. And, you know, it happened to us against Pepperdine last year. I mean, we were his last game of the season last year playing Pepperdine. I mean, they got and Carson Edwards is playing. He's on the, he's on the roster for the Nets. And, you know, the other point guard, he was on the roster for the uh, summer league for the Warriors. So, I mean, and then they had just musclehead dudes everywhere. We're shooting layups and hitting open threes, and we're up one and a half. And it's like they're they're running the locker room, and you could hear them. You know, their locker room was four doors down from us, and you could just hear them letting these white boys shoot layups, like white boys shoot threes. Like, you could hear it coming down the hallway. Like, they were just, you know, upset. And, you know, obviously the second half they, they did what they do best, and Edwards went for 34, but – you know, it's, that's how we always, that's, it happens and it's shocking because I've, you know, I was, I was a part of the rotation until I got hurt last year. And, you know, I could just, I never understood how we do it. Like, how do, how do we keep it close against Notre Dame? How do we keep it close against U of L? Like, what are, what are these guys that play a lot? It's mindset. That's why I tried to learn my freshman and sophomore year. And last night you get out there and it's just like, you know, free flowing, played 15 minutes last night, free flowing. And you just feel a part of that system. You feel a part of like you're in practice. And that's what those guys do. It's like, we're just in practice. We're just playing against another team. And we've always had that mindset and it comes from coach. It comes from our deep rooted system. It comes from the absolute competitors I have for teammates. Um, And, you know, it's, it's, it's a mystery that I'm really happy to be part of. Garrett Tipton here on the review, junior guard. I think I said forward at the start on accident. Um, it's, it's, he's a, tw- he's a tweener. Have, he's a tweener. Let's go with that. Yeah, we don't we don't have we don't have positions on our <laughs> roster. Positionless basketball has made its way to college as well, folks. Uh, quick two questions. Well, we got a couple minutes left here. Hypothetically, for one of these teams, not so hypothetically for the other two. Excited place you're most excited to play this season at the start, Mackey. At Gonzaga, if you were to go to Pauly, at Pauly, or Morgantown? Uh, well, quick side backstory: My brother is actually a part of the uh, men's golf team at uh, West Virginia. So it's going to be his girlfriend's family, my entire family. That'll be a deep-rooted – not sure what he's going to do. Not sure what he's going to wear for that game. Um, so that one's exciting, but – it's a toss-up between Pauly and going to Gonzaga. Uh, people would say, well, you know, why wouldn't you just pick Pauly? I mean, Pauly right out absolutely as a basketball fanatic that I am. The history there, like, you can't. To think that you are one of the so many thousands of players to go in that gym and to think John Wooden, to think just the roots of basketball, that's where it's – that. I mean, the roots of college basketball is in Pauly Pavilion. 
Um, you know, that's that's very exciting. But playing at Gonzaga, I mean, you watch it on TV. They're playing St. Mary's and Pepperdine and other schools, and it is just rocking. It looks like they're right on top of you. I mean, this is this. I mean, this is where big time players go. Like just to feel that experience up there. Uh, will be really cool. I mean, it, being in Vegas, I mean, we're playing in Vegas against UCLA. That's going to be just erratic as well. Um, you know, so it's Mackey. I don't have a lot of history in Indiana, so I'm not. You know, I mean, it looks like it's going to be exciting. I watched. You know, I'm a high state football fan and watch their basketball team pretty close as well. And you know, watching them play, it just like seems like every year that they're off and big time teams in the Big Ten go and play there that team is just lost with the crowd, um, you know, to maybe just experience that as well. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. And it, it, they put out tickets uh, the morning of when they did it, and they were sold out that night for our game at Purdue. So, you know, obviously it's going to be jumping no matter what. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it they're, they all have a little bit of a – uh, feeling for me personally about just growing up watching college basketball, but you know, to say number one would definitely be Pauly Pavilion. Finally, uh, later on in this episode, we're going to be talking about the newest member of Division One, St. Thomas, up in Minnesota, a school I actually was down the street from for my four years of undergrad. Going from Division Three to Division One, semi similar situation to where you guys were there, powerhouse and a pretty good conference in Division Three basketball a word of advice that you can give to their players who may or may not listen to this podcast about making that transition and not letting it get to their head, get too big for them. I would say that you got there for a style of play that you have. Um, unless your coach is just blowing everything up and starting over, I would stick to what your roots are. Um, obviously going from division three to division one's a, a huge, a little bit bigger jump than we made, but you're there for a reason. Um, enjoy it. It's, it's, it's a process. It's going to take time. We're, we're a bad example of that. I mean, a good example of that is North Alabama. I mean, they're in our conference now, but to see them go from division two, division one, like not have a winning season until last year. Um, and they made it to the conference finals, uh, you know, for our tournament. So, you know, just, it takes time. It takes a process and, you know, be, be the, be the first team that lays the stepping stone for those teams to come um, and, and just enjoy it as much as you can. Yeah. You may get, you may be super competitors and may get blown out by big time teams, but first year, second year, you get your roots under you, you find out what it takes to be a, a competitive division one team. Like we learned this year, like we're going to learn, we learned last year, going to learn even more this year. Um, it just it lays the stepping stone for a university that could blow up. I mean, 20 years ago, coach talks about it all the time. 20 years ago, Gonzaga was us. Look where they are now. So, you know, it, it takes time. It takes the process. But enjoy the heck out of it. Um, enjoy the label of being Division One, And, and um, that would be our – that would be my main advice for sure. He is Garrett Tipton, junior guard from the Bellarmine University Knights. You can catch him on November 9th. Their opener at Purdue. I, I don't know where that's going to be on, but I would assume ESPN somewhere. Um, if not, probably Fox, who knows, and contributor to the Beyond the Arc podcast. Garrett, thank you so much for coming on. First outside guest that's not affiliated with our site. So thank you very much. We really appreciate it. And best of luck this season. Thank you for having me. So that was Garrett Tipton, Bellarmine University guard. Uh, very confident in regards to their season, especially with the way it starts in the non-conference. A lot of power teams, especially when you're playing the likes of Gonzaga, Purdue at home, St. Mary's at home, and UCLA, albeit in a neutral site, is no scrub. They are a very good team. And I'm interested to see, starting with you, Matt, how you think the Knights will fare in this early season schedule and how it will prepare them for the conference schedule, which they really rolled through last season. Yeah, so I mean, when you look at Bellarmine and you obviously look at the way that they they came out last year in their first season, uh, a very impressive the way that they they did things in the A Sun. Uh, as far as a tough schedule this year, I mean, I think if you if you look first of all, it's no surprise that a transition team is scheduling games like that. Um, obviously, it's a measuring stick, and it's a great way to see how are you stacking up, and, and you can see the teams that at the the very top of of Division One basketball. How can you play? It's also, of course 
to, to fund the program, right? There's a big jump between D2 and D1 where you need that to build up just like everybody else. They call them buy games, right? It doesn't just happen for the transition teams. It's for other teams at the lower conferences that, that need to keep the programs running. And so, I mean, it's a chance for them to maybe play six potential tournament teams. If you think Loyola Marymount, Marymount is as good as advertised out in the West Coast Conference at that second tier, right? And I think it does prepare them for another shot at Liberty. I think everyone's looking at Liberty as the top dogs in the Atlantic Sun. And so if you want to see what it's like to contend with a team that pushes major conference teams in the NCAA tournament the last couple of years, like Liberty, you want to get those experiences yourself. And so it's going to get them prepared. They only have one game against Liberty this year in conference play with the additions uh, Jacksonville State, Eastern Kentucky coming in. So with conference expansion, it cuts down the opportunities they get against a team like Liberty when the conference play comes around. So that gives you the better chance to prepare. And, you know, their ceiling is only the CIT or the CBI, given the, the transition rules and restrictions. And so this is your opportunity to play those big teams because you know you're not going to get that chance in March. Ari, which one of these teams in the non-conference do you think they have the best chance to knock off? They may not win any of these games, if I'm being honest with you, just based upon history with the teams they're playing, but they're going to be competitive. They've been competitive with a lot of teams. They were competitive with Duke for three quarters of that game they had at the opener last season. Who do you think they have the best chance to knock off early this season? Well, that's a great question. Uh, I honestly don't Thank think you. I appreciate you saying that. I, I don't think they have a chance. A to questions. Wow. But, but if they do have a chance, I think it's against Murray State. Um, they're not the John Morant Murray State that we all love to wash, but uh, they're still a good team nonetheless. But uh, Bellarmine, they really showed how good they could be. Um, finished second in the call. can't even say the name right, man. We've said it like 10 times already. Are you I'm paying off. attention? I'm off today. I'm sorry. <laughs> you kind of rattled me with your introduction, so... Uh, I, I tried to, I'm getting back I, in. I, I pull no punches here, Ari. Well, anyway, I think they're a good team. And I think this further introduces the possible rule change that they should think about of letting teams go to the tournament that first year. It just doesn't make sense because they were, they clearly proved that they're good enough to play and they were basically playing for nothing. And I don't think that's fair. Uh, they didn't deserve it. And hopefully in the future, these teams that are transitioning, they can have that opportunity to play in the tournament right away instead of having to wait that certain period for whatever reason they have right now. Drew, we saw a team, and I know this is a very, this is a stretch of a comparison to make, but we saw a team like Baylor with their experience perform well in their conference and beyond. What is a team like Baylor, like Bellman, with all the experience they have coming back, fifth year seniors, guys who have that COVID year of eligibility remaining, what does a team like Bellarmine have coming back that will allow them to maybe have an advantage over a team that's bigger than them that maybe just has younger guys that aren't used to the college game yet? Oh yeah. I think it's, I think it's a really big deal to have just experience in general at the college level um, with Bellarmine last year. I mean, it was kind of tough getting in the D one schedule, not just getting used to that, but having COVID a little bit, had a couple of games where they got canceled. You had to go through the Atlantic sun, which was through double headers every other weekend. So it was kind of difficult to find a rhythm. So they're, like, they're not going to be used to that this year with the schedule, but I just believe them being there and being through the same system and, and consistent with reps, I think will help them and will benefit them. That's kind of the similarity that I saw through Baylor of they knew what they were doing. They knew what their identity was at that point. And, at, and since they knew their identity, they just knew how to play the game and they knew how to play their game. And if a team like Bellarmine could do that and has that chemistry and kind of knows what kind of culture they have, I think it can benefit them in the long run. Well, Garrett Tipton said it. They passed the ball a lot. It's not a lot of dribbling from their perspective and I watched their scrimmage last night and it was a wake up even though it was a scrimmage an exhibition they were being played tough by a D2 team and that you're going to have those moments for any team at one point in the season it's lucky for them they got it early on Tipton I also asked him about St. Thomas the newest division one team a team I'm pretty familiar with having gone to school right down the road they roughed up my McAllister Scots quite a bit um <laughs> over the course of my four years there in men's basketball. Not as much of a power in D3 as they were before. St. John's has kind of taken over that upper Midwest part of the nation in Division Three basketball. But 
a transition nonetheless for St. Thomas, really big school, had the makings of a Division I program already. Now they get to make the jump going through the Summit League where they'll take on teams like everyone's favorite Cinderella from last year, Oral Roberts, and Sam Bass's like third team out of six that he roots for in the Drake Bulldogs. Ari, your, your expectations for St. Thomas this season? I'd say they're low. They have nothing to lose this season. They're just getting their foot in the door. Um, maybe win a few conference games. Just put their name on the map. Have people talk about them. Um, whether that's getting blown out by Notre Dame, or sorry, against Oral Roberts, or even competing with the team. I think just to have their name in the in that conversation is just would be a huge step for them going from D3 to D1. Mr. Waldman, real quick before we get to our three-point play, your thoughts on St. Thomas this season? Look, the, the move from D3 to D1 is unprecedented. It's the first, they're the first program to do that. So yes, we've seen success from Division II programs making that move. I will be very interested to see what this looks like. Um, Ken Palm says the non-D1 games are guarantees. But is that going to be the case given the transition, especially if they schedule a division? It, it, it will be because those D3 teams are in a very bad, like not up to par conference. I'm also familiar with Crown College and um, Northland. They are in no way competitive with St. Thomas. So, yes, those are, of course, gimmies. You're welcome. D3 basketball knowledge. Go me. Hey, hey, fair enough. Uh, and that's, you know, uh, just something I always look for. Um, and even established Division One programs at lower conference have lost to non-D1 teams. So, you know, it happens. But they're going to figure out quickly what it takes. The Summit League, I think, is underrated every year, even though they produce teams like Oral Roberts, South Dakota State, North Dakota State. So they're going to figure out real quick what it takes to win at the higher level there in that league. All five starters are back, and they've got some D1 transfers coming in. So that might help guide the process, what it takes to win at that level. But as Ariel said, you have nothing to lose. Come in, see what you can do. Recent history, success with transitional teams. Bellarmine, Merrimack, Calabathas. Grand Canyon was a transitional team just a few years ago, and they made the tournament last year. So there's that recent history of success. Sometimes it's better to be a little unknown, and I think maybe that works in St. Thomas's favor this year. With that, we get into our first three-point play of the season. Gents, get your pads and paper ready. The rules are, and they're very simple. We, they, we did it a lot last year. Three questions, each one worth a point. That gives you – did no one see this text? I just see two people leave. What is going on here? I put this in the group. Okay. He, okay. Yeah. Uh, anyway, three questions, one point each, you get all three, right. You get a chance at a four point play. Matt Waldman was the winner last year as he hits his pad and paper. And we'll start with a question about the aforementioned St. Thomas gentlemen, before the transition to division one, St. Thomas was a consistent NCAA tournament presence at the D three level. What conference did the Tommies play in? An acronym will count. I do not, you do not have to spell out the entire thing. An acronym will count. And I swear to God, if anybody has their website up right now to cheat, I'm not going to know it and I'm not going to take a point away, but you cannot do that. Everybody ready? Ari, thumbs up, thumbs down. <laughs> Drew's ready. All right, go ahead. Flip your sheets, gentlemen. Matt says the Mayak, Drew says the Sun Conference, and the Northwest. I didn't know. Do you know, know where Minnesota is? I, I just drew a random guess, and I had no idea. Well, Matt Waldman is picking up right where he left off last year. It is the Mayak, the Minnesota Intercollegiate Athletic Conference. One of a few Mayak conferences, that be, or D3 conferences, that are split into divisions in football at least, Mayak, a really big contender in all the major sports, whether it's football, basketball, soccer, the like. We move on to question two, featuring the Bellarmine University Knights. Bellarmine has won a single national championship in their history. It was back in 2011 when they were still a D2 program. Big bad GLVC. Who did the Knights beat to win their one national championship? Hey, Ari, you shouldn't have talked crap about mid-majors, man. They weren't even a mid-major. They were D2 school. I know, but <laughs> they performed well. I would assume you did your research on a team that did well last year and that we talked a lot about. The rundowns are out midweek, guys. You can study up a little bit. 
I know Matt's ready because he's he's nodding his head to and fro. I think Drew's ready as well. Ari's never ready because he's just given up at this point. Anything not about Fog Allen or Bill Self, he just doesn't know. Not he does nothing. All right, flip <laughs> your sheets, gents. We have West Texas A and M, Northern Kentucky IDK. That's an interesting school. Which one's that, Ari? Um, Indiana. Detroit, Kentucky. <laughs> no one is correct, uh, needless to say. It was BYU-Hawaii. I didn't even know that was a well, school before I looked it up. I, I, my thoughts exactly, Drew. I, who? Uh, final score of that game, 71-68. It remains Bellman's alone national championship. Question three. This is a callback to season one of the review. Like I said, we devoted an entire episode the four new members of Division One. One of those was Bellerman. Name the other three. And yes, I have mentioned them in this episode. So you should get this. And Ari is spacing out. So I know he definitely wasn't paying attention because he probably doesn't know this. I know Matt knows it because this was a question in last season's finale as well it's my job to know these schools that is very true it is your job to know these schools and i would assume ra should know these schools since bill self obviously knows them with his whole oh this is the worst loss since we lost to topeka ymca way back when he knows all these schools but ra doesn't drew looks like he's ready ra does not look like he's ready and probably won't be but Time's up. Flip them. Cal Baptist. Uh, that is incorrect. Dixie. Tarleton. I have blanked. That's tough. You got two of the three. Matt Waldman is correct. UC San Diego. Tarleton State. Dixie State. You know what? We have three and a half minutes left in our Zoom call. I'll give you the four-point play question because you know what? It, it's a new year. It's a new me. I'm going to be generous from now on. And this is a question I think Drew may be able to get and that I think Ari might be able to get as well. So we mentioned Baylor. They had four key players from last year's national championship team that are no longer with the team having gone pro. Name the teams that the following players are currently with. We have Mark Vidal, Jared Butler, Macy Oteague, and Davion Mitchell. Name the professional teams that each of those four players are currently with. Mark Vidal, Jared Butler, Macy Oteague, and Davion Mitchell. I had to dive deep into the depths of sports reference to figure this one out. Give me a thumbs up when you're ready, gents. Ari is ready. Matt is ready, but he doesn't see. It doesn't matter. He's going to win this one anyway because he's the only one who's gotten the question right. But Andrew is ready. All right, gentlemen, go ahead and flip your sheets. Jazz, Kings, Chiefs, blank. T-Wolves, Pelicans, Hornets, Magic. Chiefs, Jazz, Kings, Jazz, so uh, Mark Vidal does play for the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm happy that people got that. Um, Jared Butler plays for the Jazz. Davion Mitchell plays for the Kings. Macy Oteague is technically a free agent, though I, I feel like Drew knows something I don't know. I thought he was on the G League team. What's he was on the Jazz early team? He Macy Oteague. He was on a G League team because I just saw this past week. It may not be the Utah. I know he's in the G League. Macy Oteague is an American professional basketball player for the Salt Lake City Stars of the NBA G League. Well done, Drew. Yes. Got himself a point in the three-point play. And before we go. I think I deserve a point. I named all the teams that the the players were on. Fine, I'll give it to you, whatever. You were also technically right based upon my answers, so whatever. 
Less than a minute left. Real quick, guys, what we learned on the program, starting with Ari. Go quickly. Uh, the new teams are back, and Kansas will win the Big 12. Uh, that's debatable. Matt Waldman, <laughs> what'd you learn today? Don't sleep on new teams at D1. Fair enough. Andrew, Drew, however you want us to call you, what'd you learn today? You're muted again. Awesome. That basketball players can, in fact, make the NFL. Absolutely. This has been the review. What's to come next week? We'll rank the power conferences and mid-majors heading into the season. Matty Brackett stops by. We'll preview the Champions Classic and give out preseason awards. But first, let's head to our overtime. Before we close up shop today, we'll head into our overtime period. And for the first time ever, we're doing this. Uh, we bring various people on. You saw Garrett Tipton earlier in this episode. Drew Timiel made his debut today talking about the Baylor Bears, but we're going to shift gears a tiny bit to more content-based overtime, at least for this episode. If you haven't realized it by now, you've A, been living under a rock, and B, don't follow our site quite closely enough, whether it be on social media or the web. But this is not the only show that we do. We have another one, very aptly named, at least in some person's opinion, but in my opinion, not so much, because while there is one constant in the form of Matt Majinski, there's another constant in however you may call her a mediator, an instigator, a moderator, or a calming presence for each and every member who comes on this show. It's the host slash moderator slash mediator slash instigator of Matt's Madness, Maddie Travisano, joining us from what looks like an apartment somewhere near the campus of Seton Hall University. Correct me if I'm wrong, but she joins us here on Overtime on the review. Maddie, welcome in. Happy to have you. How are you doing on this wonderful morning slash afternoon? Um, thanks so much for having me. Um, yes, I am in my room in my house, which is very close to uh, campus of Seton Hall. Um, love it here. Um, but yeah, I am excited to be here. I'm doing good, excited. Um, also excited about this uh, new show that we have. Well, Matt's Madness first episode just released between the two Matt's, so it really was a Matt Madness mashup, I guess you could say. Matt Waldman, I'm sure, torched Matt Majinski, but don't spoil anything for us because the fans want to go watch it. Why isn't it called Maddie's Madness? I understand I, that Matt's the boss man, but I feel like you're more important to this show than he is. I'm I'm not quite sure. Um, I was uh, I was brought on when the name was already decided. So I didn't really have a say um, in what it could be. Um, so that was in interesting. Originally, I thought it was gonna be Matt versus another Matt every single time mm. with the way he, and I go- Yeah, we don't like, have enough a, of those. Yeah, that's a great idea, but I was like really confused. Um, and then he's like, no, 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 it's just like Matt's madness, but it's gonna be like, you don't have to be named Matt. And I was like, oh, okay, that was unclear when he was explaining it to me. Um, it was a great first episode, really fun. Um, I really like the way the show is formatted, just the topics wise. Me as the moderator, um, just again, keeping guys um, on track, making sure, you know, they do have a time limit. Um, it's about two minutes uh, rebuttal. So it is also very quick. It's really great show to listen to maybe on your commute, um, whether it's a train in the car, give it a listen. Um, you're just cooking dinner, something. Um, it's really, sh it's really short. Um, and that's what we wanted to do because just quick topics, quick hits of what, uh, people are talking about right now. Matty Travisano joining us here on the review in regards to the boss man, besides the fact that his hairline is getting pretty up there, much like mine, who would you compare him to in regards to his debating style or prowess or maybe not so much prowess to? Oh gosh, that's a really hard question. I have no idea. I think Matt has a very specific style. Like he doesn't, oh, oh gosh, I don't know. That's a really hard one. I have no idea, but he is very, his style is very <laughs> well, Was he good in this first episode? Did he make points that made sense to you? Yes, he did. He did make points that made sense. Um, both Matt's did. It was, it was really, it's also really fun to be the moderator because I am listening to both sides and I can just, I get just get to listen like as of any of the fans you get to do as well. Like I'm just hearing it while it's just happening live. 
Um, and so that's also made it really fun. So I was really, I was like keeping track of the time, but I was also really into what the guys were saying. I was like, oh yeah, that's a great point. Like, oh, this is great going back and forth. Um, so yeah, very interesting. Um, and we had great topics. Um, I will say this one was more about college basketball and it made me so excited because college basketball is just around the corner. Um, had some great topics. I didn't even, uh, realize some of the things, uh, were happening as much as they were I mean, the world of college basketball. Again, I'm not trying to give anything away. Um, so yeah, pretty exciting. Well, being you know, a student at Seton Hall, you are well aware of what quality college basketball it looks like, feels like. And aside from the show now, stepping aside from that, what are your expectations for the Pirates this season? I know Matt is obviously very high on them because he also went there but he can be, he's a Syracuse guy at heart. And that's another reason that we poke fun at him because he, he has no allegiances. He is not loyal. He, to he really doesn't. When you think about the sports teams that he likes, it's very, very random, very like what is going on also, but I also can't, I also can't make fun of him too much because I'm from Los Angeles and I'm a Packers fan. So like, See, but every- that's not what I'm referencing though. I'm referencing the fact that he has two college basketball teams. It's just unacceptable for a man, especially of his stature. Whereas I sure. never, I didn't really grow up with a college basketball team from Missouri. Like Mizzou was good when I was growing up, but I just I watched either. college basketball to yeah. watch college basketball. I was, uh, uh, yeah, I, obviously I, I'm, from LA. So like UCLA, USC, the PAC 12 is my, my conference. I love the PAC 12, but I also love the big East, but the sports that I like in the PAC 12 are very different than the sports I like in the big East. So I don't, they don't really have to go back and forth on that. Um, but as in regards to the pirates this season, um, super excited. They have a great schedule. Um, preseason is going to be really intense, but I'm really excited for that. I'm really excited um, to be back at Prudential center um after covid um you know i'm excited to have fans back in there again i think the guys are really excited i've been talking with a lot of them um just um with various media media days and things like that um i think it's going to be a good season um i think the big east is going to be probably the best college basketball conference um this year um and so it's just i think every game is just going to be a fight and it's going to be really intense and really exciting as a fan that's quite a bold statement saying the Big East is going to be the best basketball conference. Before we get to our final question here, though, real quick, when can we watch the episodes? When do they come out weekly? Where can we find them? Um, you can find them on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast, I believe. Um, and I'm not 100% sure what days they come out because Matt never told me that. Um, Again, another reason why Matt's the worst boss of all time. <laughs> he um, just said, hey, we're going to record this episode. These episodes, they do come out weekly, um, but he never told me what day they do come out. I believe, yes, sorry about that. <laughs> I want to say he said Wednesday at one point. So let's just go with Wednesdays. If we're wrong, then I apologize to the audience. <laughs> Real quick before we go, though, describe the show in three words. What are we looking Ooh. at here? Mm. fun um oh gosh I'm just thinking of the most basic words to describe a a debate show and it's it's really not that I promise um (laughs) it's really not that um I would say like I'm just like sound because very it's just very quick it's fun fast-paced um I'll give you fast-paced as one word. It's a hyphenate. We'll yeah, that. that's high. Um, and I'll just go, I don't want to, oh gosh. I was thinking like interesting, but that's such a bad word to describe it. Oh my <laughs> gosh, I'm, I'm like not thinking of good words right now. <laughs> but I feel like I'll just stick with the two. It's fun and fast-paced. It's the best way to describe it. Fun, fast-paced. In other words, it's maddening to some people. It's madness <laughs> for others. It's Matt's madness with the host of Maddie Travisano. You can catch it every week along with the review. Maddie, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure to have you on and hopefully we can get you on at some point to lessen the other guys' egos a little bit more with the actual <laughs> topics we do. But thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me.
three, two, one. That was our overtime, and this has been The Review Season 2, Episode 2. You want more? Go to cbbreview.com. We have a lot of stuff coming out right now. Conference previews, top 10 players, preseason accolades from our staff at CBB Review. You can see work from Matt, Ari, Andrew, all throughout the season at your liking. And check out, again, Matt's Madness with Matty Travisano as host, Matt Majinski versus whoever. Doesn't matter who it is, though. He's probably going to lose. For all of us here at CBB Review, though, we want to thank everyone who came on. Ariel Putterman, Matt Waldman, Drew Timio, Garrett Tipton, and Maddie Travisano. It was a fantastic episode, and we can't wait for the season to start up. Only one more week, guys. We'll have episode three, and then we get into the season. It's going to be fantastic. We can't wait to have you along with us throughout this entire season two of the review. I'm Brendan Hodges. Thanks for watching, listening, wherever you found it on YouTube, Spotify, Apple podcast. Happy to have you on board throughout the rest of the season. We'll see you next week for episode three. For now though, I'm Brendan Hodges, and this has been the review.